This is trickle-down economics in football form. It's Tom Brady, just, you know, he gets richer while everyone else in the NFL gets poorer. That, that's what we're looking at here in Tampa Bay. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of There's a Lot Going On, the podcast that always knows when to retire. I'm David Oreo, joined, as always, by Tom Shively. Tom, how are you doing on another Sunday evening? The NFL season almost over. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm ever going to retire, but, uh, you know, lost a couple tough bets. Uh, I'm willing to face the noise for my Saints takes. You know, they didn't look good tonight. Um, but, you know, here I am on the pod to uh, to to meet the uh, the just slander for them. But, uh, you know, it's a Sunday, so tomorrow's Monday morning, not doing too great. But, you know, here we are. Hey, listen, Tom, the slander cometh. Uh, it sounds like you've had a comeback on your betting as the night has gone on. But before we get into any of that, Tom, I want to remind the people that if they enjoy the podcast, the best thing to do to support us is to go onto iTunes, give us a five-star rating, leave a comment, you know, tell us what you like, tell us something you want us to talk about on the show, and we will read those comments, we'll check them out, and we will respond to them here live on the show. So again, just a reminder, if you can, it would mean the world to us. It helps us out a ton if you can go on iTunes and give us a five-star star rating but tom let's jump into a performance tonight that could only be described as a one-star podcast rating and that was drew Brees himself and the new orleans saints falling to the tampa bay buccaneers 30 to 20 this weekend tom brady uh didn't look great but didn't look terrible either he made the throws and it matters he was uh 18 for 18 for 33 199 yards two touchdowns he was sacked once had a quarterback rating of 92 9 he got some sizable contributions from the run game because Fournette ran for 63 and Jones ran for 62. Uh, Neither got a touchdown, though. The lone touchdown run did come from Tom Brady, so he accounted for all three of the touchdowns that his team scored uh, in terms of on the offensive side of the ball. But uh, an impressive performance from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and a, a real snoozer from Drew Brees, who was 19 for 34, 134 yards, one touchdown and three picks. Just if this is truly his last game, as has been reported by Jay Glazer, not exactly the way I'm sure he saw himself going out. Yeah, I mean, it breaks down to less than four yards in attempt. That's not something you want to see especially when you have all of the offensive weapons that the Saints team has. You know, Michael Thomas, I believe, was held without a catch. Maybe he had one late, but let me pull that up real quick. You are correct. No catches for Michael Thomas. No catches for Michael Thomas. I was correct. And, I mean, you know, Kamara was involved enough. He had 85 85 yards, but really more about the Bucs defense, I think, because – all three of the Tampa Bay touchdowns were off of turnovers with a uh, uh, off of Saints turnovers and they all started on the Saints side of the 50. So short field, Tom Brady, those offensive weapons. I mean, it's a pretty easy recipe for success. And Drew Brees, I think a lot of the issues that certainly you have been pointing to all year with, you know, the arm strength may not be there, certainly the mobility isn't there. That they all kind of felt like they manifested themselves in the second half and he was he was everything that you kind of expect a 42-year-old quarterback to be. And, uh, you know, for someone who's had as good of a career as he had to go out, like, it, it was kind of unfortunate to watch. But, you know, I, I can't say it was unexpected. 
So just just to go back to something you brought up, Drew Brees' yards per attempt were 3.9 yards per attempt. That's tied for his lowest single game mark in the 255 games he had played with the Saints. Not to mention this is the third straight year they have lost as home favorites in the playoffs. And they're going out to guys like Jared Goff, a 40-plus-year-old Tom Brady, and uh, who's the guy against the Vikings? Oh my, who was their court? Case Keenum. Kirk was, Cousins. Kirk Cousins was that quarterback. Didn't they go out to Kate? They went out to Case Keenum. The Case, Keenum, too, game, the Case Keenum game was in Minnesota, though. Yeah. They Correct. lost twice to the Vikings. So, I mean, they're just, they're going out sad. The, Kirk Cousins, then Jared Goff. And then they went out, they've gone out to Tom Brady now. It's just Drew Brees has not looked himself these last couple of years in the postseason. Like you said, I've been saying it on this podcast for weeks. My man's has a noodle floored arm. He would not be able to throw as the season went on, no matter how much rest you gave him, no matter what you saw J- Jameis Winston on that one throw he got all game. That was the best throw probably from either quarterback all night. Like was that throw from Jameis Winston to, uh, I think it was uh, Smith, and, Smith, yeah, and like it, it just that has been the story of the New Orleans Saints these last three years. Like Taysom Hill comes in, oh, Taysom Hill looks a little bit better than Drew Brees does because he can do more with the football. Jameis Winston can throw the ball significantly better at this point than Drew Brees does. The thing Drew Brees does well is he's accurate, but he can't throw it very deep. And so if you just take away the short passing, which is what the Bucks did, they were very aggressive at attacking guys when they caught the ball you know, short of the line to gain. it It's just a recipe for disaster. And you saw tonight what a 40-year-old quarterback is supposed to look like. And it's what Drew Brees has looked like for four straight postseasons, I would say. Like, since 2017, this is what Drew Brees has looked like. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the system kind of worked for the Saints because of how good Kamara and Thomas have been after the catch and you know they've kind of been that weapon for four years it's never really been the deep threat Thomas isn't exactly a guy that can you know burn you going downfield like a Mike Evans is but I mean it just wasn't clicking for them and it's just you know they're one and four they've won four straight division titles but they've only won one playoff game no they won two they're two and four but I mean one of those wins in that divisional round was the deflection off Alshon Jeffrey that like got intercepted right at the end like they would have lost to the Eagles not even made that one NFC championship game so that they're getting there they're getting high seas and they're just not getting it done in the playoffs and you know it's it's just kind of those teams that need it the most and I think when you game plan to to take away at least Thomas for the Bucks today you know Kamara had a solid enough game but like Devin White was fantastic on defense Winfield Murphy Bunting that secondary that you know People said the Bucks. that was kind of their weakness on defense. They played really well today. And, uh, you know, it helps when you can't have a quarterback that throws it longer than 20 yards playing against you. But the, the defense won the game for Tampa today. Yeah, the, the defense had, it, it just felt like timely play after timely play. You know, they need an interception. Up oh, here comes an interception. They need, you know, they get that forced fumble as the Saints are seemingly driving down the field and just flip all momentum in the other direction and it it, that was the moment for me when the saints fumbled that football it felt like the game was over to me from that point forward the saints lost all sense of momentum it felt like their offense couldn't get going you know 
everything they tried from that point, it seemed like the guys weren't confident in their actions. And, you know, when you have a Tampa Bay team who was clearly hungry, Devin White was hunting dudes out there tonight. Like he was cracking dudes left and right. They played with an energy and a fire that you don't often see from Tampa Bay. And that has to be credited to Tom Brady. Like his, the way he has seemingly shifted the culture there in Tampa Bay from, you know, perennial frankly losers since they won that Super Bowl to now you know you bring in the greatest quarterback of all time and in a season he's able to get these guys to buy into his way of playing his way of thinking that can be hard when you're in an organization that doesn't win but it's very similar to what Kevin Stefanski did in Cleveland and his ability to turn the Browns from perennial losers to a competitive football team I I think Tom Brady deserves all of the praise he's getting for what Tampa Bay's been able to do this season and I mean, yeah, there's actually a third team too. You think about the Bills and obviously their success getting to the AFC Championship. We'll talk about them later, but McDermott's done great there. And and I think what I wonder with Brady is how much of the underwhelming performance in Washington played into how they played this week. Because you know Taylor Heineke and them kind of gave them a game, and nobody really expected them to to play well there. And Tom Brady after. Not only after a loss, but after games where his team plays bad, always seems to kind of come out and and put his foot down the next game. And I think there was just a little bit of that tonight. Yeah, I mean, Brady is a gamer. You know, he we don't call him the greatest quarterback of all time for nothing. You know, he when the lights are brightest, it's when Brady shows up. And he's been consistent in that over the last 15, 20 years. You know, as long as he's been in the league, that's when Brady plays his best football. I think I heard them say on the broadcast, this is his 14th come behind, come from behind victory in the playoffs. So it, this is just what Tom Brady does. When the lights are the brightest, he shows up and he wins football games. And it's going to be a hell of a game next week. We'll get to the team they're playing here in a little bit. Let's jump over to the other game from today, the game that started the day, and that was the Cleveland Browns taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Kansas City, of course, took down the Browns 22-17, to a bit of a closer game than I think a lot of people anticipate it. Part of that, though, is because Patrick Holmes went out in the third quarter with a concussion. Uh, he's now in the concussion protocols uh, as mandated by the NFL. It was a pretty scary scene as he came to his feet, was a little wobbly, and, you know, couldn't couldn't really didn't look like he knew where he was but you know credit to the Chiefs for being able to bounce back from that situation and Andy Reid called a masterful game you know he he put his players in the best situations to win and then that fourth down call in the fourth quarter fourth and inches everyone thinks oh they're just going to run the clock down call a timeout and punt this ball away nope he hikes the ball and goes for it on fourth down and they get it on a play they've run a hundred times to Tyreek Hill just masterful from Andy Reid and it this was a really good game despite the score not really indicating as much no, I mean, I think it was vintage read. You know, you back up quarterback, you know, only up one score, you're up five points, you, and just, oh, you know, we'll throw the ball on fourth down and pick it up and clinch the game. But, I mean, credit to the Browns. It was a fun game. I think, you know, they – you wonder what they would have done if they had one more possession. Uh, you question a little bit the punt decision there on their final drive. I actually would have punted if I was them because I think it was fourth and eight or so. And Agreed. You got to let the defense – you got to let the defense work. But they, they burned a timeout earlier in that drive, so you could argue that. But the Chiefs' offense didn't look good without Mahomes. I think that's kind of the big question looking ahead to next week. But 
I mean, the the Browns were able to move the ball on them, and I think just a couple of a couple of bad breaks really with the Browns, you know, fumbling out of the end zone, and um, you know they give that field goal right at the end of the half, and it, it could have been a different game with that ten point swing there, and you know they hung in really well, and it would have been easier for them to fold after Baker threw the pick on the first first drive of the second half, but they you know held Kansas City scoreless and came back and they got it to one score and it was fun. It was fun to watch the Browns and they I wouldn't have been shocked if they won that game to be honest. But before I talk about Kansas City, I, w- I want to give Cleveland their due but also discuss why it is they didn't win this game because I think they had every opportunity to win this game and let's just start there. Just the fact they had opportunities in an NFC or an AFC divisional round game to advance the AFC championship game speaks volumes about Kevin Stefanski and the job he's done there this season. He has completely turned around that team a year after them being a dumpster fire under Freddie Kitchens. He's figured out how to use Baker Mayfield, you know, where he, he, the things he needs to do to be a good quarterback. And he has made the most out of a number one pick. Baker Mayfield was the number one pick. You know, we might not see him in that way because of how good Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson is, are, but he's still a really good quarterback. He's accurate. They run the ball a lot, which they kind of got away from a little bit in this game. It was a little strange, but I think what really did them in was, and this is the thing that always does the Browns in, which is going to be something Kevin Stefanski is going to have to hit on. They didn't call a very good game. It didn't feel like Kevin Stefanski was really prepared in this moment to call this football game. I, I think, like I just mentioned, they kind of abandoned the run there a little bit. And they I think they should have kept with it considering the stable of backs they have there in Cleveland. But also it was just... It was small mistakes that really did them in. I remember in the first half, you know, Nick Chubb had back-to-back drops on essentially a swing pass and a screen pass. The screen he had he had green for miles ahead of him for a big run if he just catches the football. Um, and it was a lot of plays like that where you know guys open, Baker's hitting him in the hands and they're dropping it, or guys open, Baker's putting it a little short or a little over its head. You know they they just need to clean up the details a little bit, and I think they probably win this game, especially once you lose Mahomes and you know the opportunity's right there for the taking. Yeah, I mean the, uh, this team isn't going anywhere. It's you know as with everyone else in the AFC that was in the playoffs, still it, it, it's a young core, and you know I think with defense with guys like Ward and Garrett, you have the pieces to build around and kind of be a contender for a while. You know this is a team again playing without Odell Beckham, who went out in what like week four, and they've just been winning since. And you know Jarvis Landry had a pretty solid game, and they have some weapons on offense. But I mean only 19 carries. I think you kind of hit on it between. Chubb and Hunt, you, you got to give them more. And I think that, you know, to a certain extent, when you're down by 19 points or 16, whatever it was in the second half, you kind of have to go to the passing game. But it just felt like by the time they got back to the run game, it was too late. And they just couldn't get that one final drive. And Kansas City, you know, had, again, their weapons on offense that, you know, once they get the ball back, they pick up a couple first downs that they could always do that, no matter who's at quarterback when you have Kelsey and Hill. And, and big credit to in terms of Kansas City, big credit to Tyron Matthew. I think he is the unsung hero of the Kansas City Chiefs because he is all over the field. He is back in coverage, making plays in the secondary. But the place today where he really showed up was on all of a lot of those run plays where or screen passes. You know, they're trying to get something going to the outside, and he is crashing down, forcing backs and receivers back inside so they can't, you know, run a lot of the outside zone stuff that they like to run. Tyron Matthew 
Matthew played a beautiful game. He only came up with seven tackles, five solo, but you know, he, the things he did don't show up on the stat sheet. You know, he also had an interception, but he, he's a guy who's all over the field. He's making a difference constantly for that defense. And he's what elevated them last year from, eh, this team is okay. They don't really have the defense to win a Super Bowl to, oh, Tyron Matthew has changed the outlook of this entire defense. I mean, outside of the first half against the Texans, that defense was really solid through the whole playoff run last year. And, you know, anytime Mahomes is on the other side of the ball, you you just naturally don't get enough credit. And I don't think it's anything to do with, you know, them playing badly. It's just, oh, it's once-in-a-generation quarterback that, that you're rocking with on the other side. And I think, you know, once he's gone in the second half, you kind of see how much this team does rely on the defense. You know, he was even hitting on a little bit in his post-game interview. He was like, it's a team effort. You know, we got them, and we know that, like, once once Pat goes down, it's it, we got to step up. And that's what they did, and, and they won, and they're, you know, the best team in the AFC the last few years for a reason. So props to them. Chad Henney in this game entered my Hall of Fame of he's still in the league players where he he comes into the game and I immediately go, oh, he's still in the league. Uh, there's there's definitely other guys on that list who aren't coming to mind right now. But Chad Henney is is firmly at the top of that list because I just remember him in Miami and him. And I remember, was it his first year there or second year where it was like him and Chad Pennington were competing for the starting job? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I, I just that's what I remember about Chad Henney. And I'm. I'm impressed he's still in the league. I'm impressed he hung around this long. There are probably reasons for that, which I will keep to myself. Uh, Tom, before we talk, before we talk, Patrick Mahomes, his potential, his concussion, and the potential for next week. Let's talk about the other two games from this weekend. We'll start with the team that the Chiefs will be playing next week in the Buffalo Bills, taking down the Baltimore Ravens, seventeen to three. I think this game. Didn't really go the way people thought in terms of score and the way, you know, just the feel of the game. The game was very slow. It it didn't really wasn't didn't have the pizzazz. I think a lot of people thought it was going to have um, Lamar Jackson went out of this game also with a concussion. Uh, when he left, he was 14 for 24, 162 yards, and he had just thrown an interception uh, that the Buffalo Bills took all the way back to the house to put them up even bigger and really at that point, put the game away. Uh, Josh Allen didn't play his best game. He was 23 of 37, 206 yards and a touchdown, but he didn't, he didn't look special. Uh, I think whatever, whatever Baltimore was doing was kind of working on defense. They just, they didn't score enough points. The Ravens, you know, you, you hold the bills to 17 points. They're one of the highest scoring teams in football this year. And the Ravens should be in that game. A low scoring grinded out kind of game is exactly what the the Ravens wanted to play. But that interception in the red zone opportunity to tie the game at 10, that, that did them in. And that was it. That was the end of the game. The moment that ball was intercepted. Yeah. I mean, you know, Lamar's only in his third year, obviously, but you start to get to the point with the Ravens where there are gaping holes on offense. And, you know, I, I don't know how much of it you can blame Lamar Jackson because First game they played, they lost the Chargers. They put up 17 points. They put up 12 in their loss to the Titans last year. I mean, they played pretty well in that win against the Titans. But, like, I guess my point is the defense is doing all they can. You know, they, they shut down Derrick Henry last week, who was the league's leading rusher. You know, they shut down the combo of Allen and Diggs and all that this week. You know, they only had one touchdown, and the offense really only scored 10 points. You get to a point that – and this is something even you were tweeting about where it's like they just need another weapon – they just need somebody on that offensive side that can kind of get them above, get them over the hump. Because right now with like this makeup of a team, 
when you're going up against the likes of really the Chiefs and the Bills are your competition right now, and they're just not on par with them on the offensive side of the ball. And you, you're, it's not an era anymore that you can win a championship with those many holes on offense. Yeah, I mean, this is what happens when you're you're. I, I don't have a better way to describe it other than this: you're dumpster diving for wide receivers. Like this is the result you're going to get. They don't have any competent or credible wide receivers other than maybe Hollywood Brown. Like I, I don't trust any other any of their other pass catchers to come up in a big time moment and make a play. And that's a problem when when your only playmaker is Lamar Jackson and he goes out of the game. You're done. Game over. Doesn't matter. Or if the team can hold Lamar Jackson, like that has happened the last two years in the playoffs, this is the result you're going to get. This is what you get out of the Ravens. And they need more weapons. You know, whether that's J.K. Dobbins, you know, emerging even more as a feature back. I think they need a, they need wide receivers. And there's a lot of good potential free agents this year. A guy they should keep their eyes on because of the style they play is Allen Robinson. He's a free agent this offseason, and I could see him fitting perfectly into this system. You know, he's a good blocker. He's not a really, you know, he's not a big home run guy, but he's a reliable pass catcher. You know, I think they had an opportunity to potentially get a guy like Stefan Diggs this past offseason. They didn't pull the trigger. They didn't, they weren't willing to give up, I think, what the Bills maybe were. And that came back to bite him as Diggs got him for eight catches, 106 yards, and a touchdown. Like, st- like that's the kind of guy they need. If a Stefan Diggs type player is available, they need to go out and get him, no matter what the cost is, because that's what Lamar Jackson needs to continue his progression. Because he's clearly a good enough quarterback. You just actually need to surround him now with players who are oh, I don't know, competent? Like, there's no competent guys on that offense not named Lamar Jackson. Hey, don't slander them. I mean, they, uh, here's my theory, right? The last year they won the Super Bowl was 2013 season. Uh, they went out and got Des Bryant this year. So, you know, maybe they think it's still 2013 and they're still getting a productive outing from him. But, like, man, dude, uh, they just need somebody. You're right. Like, I mean, like the Des Bryant signing is just funny to me. But <laughs> they're... they're they they need something. They're they're disappointing with with how good Lamar Jackson is and how what he can bring to the table. I, I don't want to say they're wasting it because he's still really young, but it, it's just with the pieces they have on defense, they just need more. And Tom, while we were recording here, I'll just get your quick reaction here. The Los Angeles Chargers have hired Brandon Staley, the Rams' defensive coordinator, as their head coach. Quick reaction from you here, live on the podcast. Uh, you go from Aaron Donald to Nick Bosa, and uh, you know he's got experience with defense. I mean, I think they have a lot of good pieces there, and it's interesting to see kind of what they will do with Herbert in year two. I think they have a lot of good weapons on offense, so that's a team that you know we even said in the preseason was somebody to watch out for next year, and so I think this might be a team that could make some noise with uh, with the next season coming up. Um, I'm a little surprised that Brian Dable wasn't the pick here, but apparently sources close to him are now saying he'll quote, he quote, he'll be the next big name for head coach next year. And it sounds like he's staying put there in Buffalo, which is a good sign for the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen. So that, you know, tie it all together. Buffalo Bills get to keep their offensive coordinator. They get to continue to work with Josh Allen. 
And we'll see how they do next week against the Kansas City Chiefs. But before we preview the AFC Championship game, let's get to the last matchup of the weekend. The Green Bay Packers took down the LA Rams 32-18. to And to be quite frank, after the second quarter, it wasn't very close. Aaron Rodgers was Aaron Rodgers, and he played lights out. You know, he had 108 quarterback rating. You know, 290, he almost had 300 yards passing and two touchdowns. Typical Aaron Rodgers game, but also the running game for the Packers just went off. Aaron Jones, 14 carries, 99 yards at a touchdown. Jamal Williams, 12 carries and 65 yards. Like they, they have a stable of running backs there that is quietly one of the better ones in the NFL. And they're running that Kyle Shanahan, you know, the Shanahan style West Coast offense where it's a lot of running backs, a lot of zone running schemes that, you know, it's considered to be the quote unquote most quarterback friendly offense in the NFL. And when you're putting one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time in that offense, this is the result you're going to get. You're going to get a dominant offensive performance and the defense is finally turning it around for the Packers and they're, they are clicking on all cylinders at the right time. Yeah, I mean, I think the Rams obviously aren't offensively what they used to be even with no cup and Goff, what, less than three weeks off of thumb surgery. There, there's certainly some questions there, but it again kind of felt a little bit like the Browns Chiefs, where like if there were a couple more stops from the defense from the Browns or the Rams in the first half, it would have been a more interesting game. But I mean, I think the Packers just took advantage of the opportunities they had in the first half and kind of built a comfortable lead and especially this Rams team just isn't built for a large comeback in the second half and especially when you got the Packers that can kind of do it all they can quick strike you I mean they had that 60 yard run like right to start the second half or you know they could come down and take a nine minute touchdown drive and they can just beat you in so many ways and I think that they matched up really well with the Rams there wasn't a lot that LA could do on either side of the ball I mean Adams was frying Ramsey Valdez Scantling was frying Ramsey all day to be honest as well but it's just Secondary wasn't there, and I think there, there's there's a lot of offseason question marks with the Rams now, but it's not about them. It's about Green Bay. Real quick on the Rams, though, and you kind of mentioned Ramsey getting fried. I didn't really think Ramsey was getting killed that often in terms of in terms of was he in the right spot to make a play. It felt like they were just scheming up plays that were taking Ramsey out of the game. And, you know, credit to Matt LaFleur, he just schemed up a beautiful game. Like that that play with Devontae Adams to bring him all to bring Ramsey all the way across the field and then force him to run through four players just to make a play. That's just smart football. And they weren't on the same page. Nick Scott should probably be the one taking Devontae Adams there, but that's what a good scheme does. And it's why the Packers have been so dominant this year. You know, when you have a coach and a quarterback on the same page and an offense that is just humming at the way that this one is, it's pretty dangerous. It's it's pretty impressive. Also, I I think these are two teams that are going to be here for a while. You know, Jared Goff is young. Um, Even if Aaron Rodgers is potentially on the decline here, I think I trust Packers management at this point. They've shown they have a, a vision, a plan. They've been good for what the last 40 years, it feels like. Like the, the Packers are just consistent. And they're these are two teams, young head coaches. They're gonna be here for a while. Um, but you know, Packers got the better of them this time. And so they move on to the NFC championship to face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll start there since we're already talking about the Packers. Packers Bucks, it's a dream playoff matchup. A playoff matchup we've never gotten because of how long Tom Brady was in the AFC. You know, we had always wanted it for the Super Bowl, but we'll take the NFC Championship game. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau. Uh 
Last I saw, the Packers were three-point or three-and-a-half-point favorites over Tampa Bay next weekend. But, uh, Tom, how, how do you see this game, uh, you know, just mere hours after or hours after the completion of Buck Saints? Come on, you can't blame Tom Brady for that matchup not happening. He got to eight Super Bowls. It's Aaron Rodgers and the Packers only getting there once. Tom Brady was waiting, uh, waiting plenty of times in the Super Bowl for the Packers. They just never got there. Yeah, but, I'm, know, I'm, I'm not blaming it. Brady. Oh, you you kind of framed it that way. My bad. Okay, that's apologies. How I did. Well, he was apologize, in the AFC for apologies, so long. Apologies, Tom Brady. You know you 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 did your job. It was Aaron Rodgers' fault. He <laughs> didn't live up to his end of the. There world. we go. There we go. But I mean, yeah, you know, it's kind of probably the two best quarterbacks of my lifetime playing against each other. And I think you know, again, it's something we've you know they only played once every four years leading up to this. And I think it, it is kind of that dream matchup with. You know, it'll be snowy. Obviously, both of those guys have plenty of experience playing in cold weather. I think, especially, I know we definitely touched on the Packers run game and the Bucks run game as kind of, you know, hidden gems of those offenses. And I think we're going to see kind of how Arians and LaFleur kind of schematically incorporate those run games. So that's almost more of a intriguing matchup than what, what can be done through the air with, you know, the windy, snowy conditions. Who knows how that's going to go? But I mean, it's... It's everything you could want. And I think, you know, offensively, they're the two smoothest offenses in the NFC right now. And, you know, the Bucks defense I had questions about but looked really good today. So, you know, maybe they proved me wrong a little bit and they might have something there, especially with the linebackers in the secondary. Definitely played above above their expectations this week. And if that carries over, I think they have a really good chance to win up in Green Bay. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to hit you with the... Uh, this is obvious, but it's going to come down to the defenses. And like I said, when I was picking our Super Bowl matchups, I trust the LaFleur offense to be less mistake prone. Arians, because of his nature to kind of open up the offense, throw the ball deep downfield, I think they are more susceptible to turning the ball over and, you know, Bruce Aarons, he's not a very buttoned up guy. I could see this team just not being super buttoned up for the NFC Championship game where I'm fully expecting Aaron Rodgers to be ready to play this football game. And, you know, it's this is the battle for our nation's soul. Or is it going to be Aaron Rodgers, the liberal left leaning quarterback? Is he going to get taken down by Donald Trump's favorite quarterback in the NFL? Are we going to let this happen in the year of our Lord 2021 days after the inauguration of Joe Biden? Aaron Rodgers cannot let us down. The fate of a nation rests on his shoulders next weekend. We got to take it one step further. Are we going to let the guy from the red state of Florida take down the uh the the newly blue state wisconsin in in this championship like come on man we can't let are we gonna, are we gonna let tom brady who already has six rings play a super bowl in his own stadium are we gonna allow that as americans tom brady after he got a gazillion dollars in federal funding for his business like are we gonna allow that no no for america aaron Rodgers has to win this tom i loved you in new england but get out of here I'll be really upset if Tom in his first, not upset, it will be like, he's obviously one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and I, I like Tom Brady for those reasons, but if he go, if he literally leaves New England and then in his first year plays in and wins a Super Bowl, it's just so unfair, like... He, he he would have left a perfect situation in New England and been like, eh, like they don't have weapons anymore. Let me go to this team with a hundred weapons who's also willing to spend money to get me more weapons. Like, oh, 
the man, the rich get richer, as we like to say. This is trickle-down economics in football form. It's Tom Brady, just, you know, he gets richer while everyone else in the NFL gets poorer. That's what we're looking at here in Tampa Bay. (laughs) Trickle-down economics, Tom Brady, I love it. I don't know, but honestly, like Tampa's fun to watch. So it, it, I don't believe any home team has ever played in their Super Bowl. You know what I'm trying to say. I don't yeah, think a team yeah, has ever team played in the Super, the Super Bowl, Bowl in their home never... stadium. Yeah, yeah. So that'd be kind of cool to see. And obviously, you know, with it will be reduced capacity, but it's Florida, so there will certainly be fans, and it's going to be pretty raucous. But you really can't go wrong with Brady or Rodgers in the Super Bowl, and I think – You've you've got four teams left that it's kind of one of those. It'd be fun to watch any combination of matchups. I think that that's that's kind of my positive outlook on championship weekend. And who who are you picking? Uh, Bucks Packers. Uh, funny, you know, when we did our playoff preview, I had this matchup in the divisional round, and I took the Bucks. But after seeing the Packers and how they played against the Rams, I Rogers is clicking. I think a lot of the reasons you hit on as well as the defense, I, I'd go Packers probably by seven. I'd go like 27 to 20. Uh, I'm also taking the Packers. I think uh, it's probably close to that. I think the Bucks probably put up a little more points, and so the Packers have to put up a little more points. I think the final score is probably like 34 to 30. I think it's a close game. I think it's going to be a high game scoring. in the 30s? Okay. Is it supposed to snow? I didn't know this. This would change my It answer. is, I believe, yeah. Okay, then never mind. I'm. It's probably closer to what you said then. If there's no snow, this is going into the 30s, though. Uh, Tom, let's preview the AFC now, AFC Championship, Kansas City Chiefs and Buffalo Bills. Let's start with the obvious question mark, Patrick Mahomes. How healthy is he going into the next week? If Patrick Mahomes, I mean, if he doesn't play, the Bills are going to win this game, right? Like, duh? I, I think you, you saw a lot of the problems with the offense with Chad Henney. Obviously, he had a couple good plays down the stretch, but it's just, I mean, come on, it's Patrick Mahomes versus not Patrick Mahomes, like literally any other quarterback. And it's, obviously, he'll be he'll be a threat to the offense, or he'll, he'll you know, it won't run as smoothly, I guess, with Chad Henney. And I, I cannot in good faith say that he will lead a team to the Super Bowl. All right, so let, let's just assume then Patrick Mahomes plays to you like what is the thing that separates this these two teams the game will come down to x i really am looking at the chiefs secondary because i think if josh allen can air the ball out and get Diggs and some of those other weapons davis involved they it could be a long afternoon for the chiefs and i think if they both play, it could be a shootout. And, you know, we haven't really seen the Bills' offense clicking 100%. They played; they were okay against the Colts, but it wasn't anything near what we saw, some levels in the regular season. I, I, I think it really is what Josh Allen can do against against the Chiefs' secondary, and that, that will kind of separate if, if they can hang around and, and actually win this game. My, my answer is kind of similar because the Chiefs have already proven themselves to us. We know the Chiefs are capable of winning in big playoff matchups. Mine is which Josh Allen shows up. Is it the Josh Allen that was there all regular season or is it the Josh Allen from these playoffs? Because truthfully, the Josh Allen from these playoffs has not been the same Josh Allen from the regular season. He seems more tense. He seems like a guy who he, he's he's playing like he's trying not to lose not like a guy who's trying to win 
And that concerns me because Josh Allen is best when he's just letting the ball rip and they're letting him go. Granted, he has no run game, so he's prone to potentially make more mistakes because of how often they have to throw the football. But that's my thing. What Josh Allen shows up and is it the one who we saw in the regular season? Season, Because if it is, this team can go toe-to-toe, point-to-point, point-for-point with the Kansas City Chiefs. And it will be an exciting matchup if both guys are in this game and healthy. So... With that said, Tom, who wins the game? I am going to, this is assuming Mahomes is healthy, right? Assume Mahomes is, that, is playing okay. and healthy. All right, all right. Well, well it let me matter. correct that. Let me correct that. If it, he had that toe issue from this game, so but just you can assume, like assume he's playing. Assume he's playing. He's not like 100%. All right. I would pick the Bills either way. I love the way they've been playing recently. I think the defense has really stepped up. So give me a little upset special with the Bills. I'll go 28 to 24. Tight game. Give me the Bills. See, I really want to pick the Bills, but there's there's something about Kansas City to me where, and I'm going to bring his name up again. I think Tyron Matthew is going to make a huge play in this game that swings momentum. And to me, the Bills don't have that guy on defense who can make a big play in that same way. I think Tredavious White's a very good cornerback, but he's not that kind of cornerback. And so to me, this is going to come down to Tyron Matthew making some sort of huge play, you know, forcing a fumble, intercepting Josh Allen. And because of that, I think I'm going to take the Chiefs as long as Patrick Mahomes plays. I think this one is probably, you know, let's give us, let's go 30 to 27. I think the Bills have a chance to win it late and Tyron Matthew makes a huge play. So, you know, I, I'm sticking with my Super Bowl matchup of Chiefs Packers. You're changing it up a little bit. You got Packers Bills going into the Super Bowl. Well, We'll see who was right. Uh, Tom, one more big sports story from the past week that we have to discuss here. And that, of course, is James Harden being dealt to the Brooklyn Nets. There was the talks really heated up the other day after he came out in a press conference and was pretty adamant about his desire to leave. You know, he said this situation is unfixable. He, he just looked very upset. And so literally a day after that press conference, he's traded to the Brooklyn Nets. It's a four-team trade. I'll break it all down for those who don't know about it yet. The Brooklyn Nets, of course, they get James Harden. That's it. They have James Harden. That's great for them. The Houston Rockets get Victor Oladipo because the Pacers are also involved in this deal. Dante Exum, a guy whose name I've never heard of, Rodian's Kuritz. I think it's like the rights to, I think he's an international player. Plus Brooklyn's three first rounders in 2022, 2024, and 2026. El Milwaukee first round pick in 2022 unprotected. And four Brooklyn first round swaps in 2021, 2023, 2025, and 2027. So essentially Houston has the rights to Brooklyn's draft until 2027. The... Nets, like I said, receive James Harden. The Pacers get Karis Lavert from Houston. So basically, Lavert was sent to Houston, and then they shipped him from Houston to Indiana for Victor Oladipo. So they send out Victor Oladipo. They get Karis Lavert plus a second-round pick from Cleveland, and Cleveland gets Jared Allen and Torian Prince. But obviously, the crown jewel here, James Harden to the Nets. Tom, what does this do for the Nets' title chances? You and I both thought. They would make the NBA Finals before the year started. What does it do to their chances now? 
I mean, let's be honest. This to me kind of sets up a kind of a titanic clash in the finals. If, if, if the Lakers make it there, I think the, in terms of star power, this will be as good as any finals. You know, assuming Kyrie Irving is in the mix, who knows how that's going to go? But uh, I mean, you've got two very pure scorers on the Nets. You know, guys that can get buckets at any time. You kind of wonder. With the chemistry, and, and, you know, obviously with new teams, that's always an issue, but, you know, Durant and Harden with their past history in Oklahoma City, I think, already kind of had some of that built in, and so you saw in the first game, Durant had 42, Harden had 32, and it was just like, of course, like, why would they, why would this ever not work? Why would this ever not be, be a good thing for them? And I think it's one of those things in the NBA, especially, where anytime you have a chance to go for a title, you should do it, because there's always going to be other super teams that are you know gonna be there and anytime you can try to get a ring really in any sport i I always think you should go for it i i agree you should always go for it here's my hang up with the nets right now and it's it's the reason why they're both not my favorite to win the title and to be quite honest currently not my favorite to win the east anymore First of all, the Bucks have sold me on their new offensive strategy. They no longer play that five. Out. They still play the five out that they've always played, but now they have incorporated a dunker more where the first guy down the court goes to the dunker position. And that allows that makes it so teams can't wall off Giannis to the basket, because if you wall him off, he's just going to dump it down for easy points. So I, I like the Bucks right now as my favorite in the East, but more than that, the Milwaukee Bucks play defense. Guess what the Brooklyn Nets do not do? The Brooklyn Nets, I have not seen them play a lick of defense all season, and James Harden does not help that. Getting rid of Jared Allen does not help that. And when it comes down to it, I don't know how you're going to slow down the teams that are going to have to play in the East. Like, who is guarding Joel Embiid if they have to play the Brooklyn Nets, if they have to play the 76ers? Like, I know you have more firepower with James Harden and Kevin Durant. You might be able to outscore the Sixers, but if you have one bad shooting night from either of those guys, I I like the Sixers a little bit more in that matchup. I think it's a close matchup, and you know, in terms of like, if I had to pick it, I'd pick the Nets, but I'm saying the defense of the Sixers is one of the best in the NBA, and that could cause problems for the Nets, a team who does not play defense. Same with Milwaukee. Milwaukee is currently eighth in the NBA in defensive rating. So, you know, if if it comes down to which team can play better defense, I know for a fact the Brooklyn Nets can't play defense. They're not good defensively, but let's just let's just say, let's give them benefit of the doubt. They make the NBA Finals. This offense clicks like I expect it will. I think they'll they'll fit seamlessly together cuz Kevin Durant is is kind of an unselfish star and he's really good at everything, you know, pick and roll. He's good at posting up, you know, whatever you need Kevin Durant to do, he can do. If they have to play the Los Angeles Lakers in the NBA Finals, like we all expect them to do, they are they would be playing a team that is currently fifth in offensive rating and number one in defensive rating. They'd be playing a juggernaut. They would have no answer for Anthony Davis. And to me, they have a direct answer for Kevin Durant with Anthony Davis. I, who would guard LeBron? And if you put Kevin Durant on LeBron who guards Anthony Davis. I just I think the Lakers are still clearly the favorites even after this trade and if anything the Nets are worse because they got rid of their best defender. 
it's interesting that you brought up the the Davis and Durant because I think the biggest thing in the East is Kevin Durant can will that team to a series win. I think against anybody in the East. I think certainly against the Sixers and probably against the Bucks. You know, it's it, the offensive system. You've seen it, but haven't seen it in the playoffs yet. And obviously, you know, you kind of take all that with a grain of salt until you get to the playoffs. But it's Anthony Davis and LeBron James. They're again, they're two of the top five players in the league. The the Nets only have one of the top five players in the league, and you know, two is more than one. Last time I checked, and I think it's still a league based on star power. And if you kind of go toe to toe with like, all right, Harden's an interesting one because he can kind of be a wing guy that the Lakers don't have a necessarily a superstar out there, and I think he could he could be a little bit of a challenge for that. But I think you hit the nail on the head with the interior as well as who's going to guard AD. And, you know, you can't really – Durant's going to have to cover one of them and leave the other one open. So it'll be interesting. But I'd probably still go Lakers. I think I said six. I think I said six preseason. I'll give them seven now, but I'd still probably pick the Lakers if that series was was starting now. I I, I don't know. I'm – to me, the team they can't beat. I I agree. I think the only team they can't beat is the Bucks. I am the Bucks. They've tricked us before, but there's something about the way they play offense now that I'm I'm more bought in than I have been in the regular season the last couple of years. And again, you're right. They got to prove it in the playoffs. But Middleton has emerged as a reliable second option. Drew Hot like. Drew Holiday still really good. And to me, that's the thing. James Harden in the playoffs, it's shown his style of play isn't as reliable because he relies so heavily on his ability to draw fouls. And he's they swallowed the whistles in the playoffs. And so to me, that matchup of James Harden on Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday, I think, would get the better of him in a defensive matchup. You know, Harden still might get his points, but I think he would be terribly inefficient in a way that he is so efficient during the regular season. And so it really would come down to Giannis versus Kevin Durant. And Giannis may be the only guy in the league who's capable of guarding Kevin Durant. We're not totally sure because I don't, you know, you need to see it over a seven-game series, but I would lean Milwaukee slightly over the Nets in a seven-game series, I would probably pick them in six. But you know that that to me is really what it's going to come down to is one: do they have enough depth, and two: is James Harden adaptable enough in the playoffs to his style of play to help them win? And do they play defense? I I stand by they don't have enough defense to win a championship. So just just to go back, do you think? old Nets suit up versus current Nets, like the old version of the Nets is better. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. No. No, this new version of the Nets is better. I just... Okay. This new version of the Nets is undoubtedly... Like, it's smart. It's, all right. I'm, I'm going to contradict everything I just said by saying this. <laughs> if you have an opportunity to get a top 10 player in the NBA, you get a top 10 player in the NBA. You make that move... 10 times out of 10 because the team that gets the top 10 player always wins the trade. I stand, I have always said this and I will always believe this. If you walk away with the top 10 player, you won the trade. No doubt. I'm just not the, I'm just not sold on the nets and their defense. And from when we were, from where we were in the beginning of the season to now, I believe more in the Milwaukee Bucks. And that's the difference in my narrative. I am more bought into the Bucks now than I was. And the Nets to me are still, you know, they're a little bit better than I thought they were. But again, 
no defense. They, I, I'm not going to buy into a team that doesn't play defense. Are the Bucks the Are the Bucks the Green Bay Packers of of the NBA? You know, they kind of just get to the playoffs and underwhelming every year, but then maybe they're starting to figure it out. You know, maybe this is the year. They're both in Wisconsin. Not that that has anything to do with it, but I think there's some parallels there. And then the, the team does kind of seem different this year with Holiday, and, and they they will be interesting to watch down the stretch. And it, it it's kind of turned into, I think, a two-horse race in the East. I give the Nets the edge. I think you give the Bucks the edge, and then it, it's Lakers in the West. So I think that's that's kind of where we are in the NBA. Just same story, different year. I think the interesting thing with the Bucks is that I think Giannis signing that contract was actually a really good thing for them because it it removed a cloud of doubt over the entire team. You know, oh well, is Giannis really bought in? Is he? Is this just his last year here, and then he's going to bolt for somewhere else? I think him signing that contract allowed his teammates and his coaching staff and the management to feel a little bit more secure in their standing and it allows them to do a little bit more and it shows he's bought in and is trying to win a title there in Milwaukee again I still think in a matchup against the Lakers they would lose but I think against the Nets I I like the Bucks a little bit and you know we still have no idea if Kyrie's even going to be there with everything that's going on with him Kyrie Irving is is such a distraction to that team and to me isn't worth it like at this point it's it would be worth it to trade Kyrie if you can get some bench help and some defense onto that team. I would trade Kyrie at this point. That's just my opinion, though. Nah, I'd keep him. I I think it's interesting because I mean you saw that Harden can play the point and that that system could work. Like you don't necessarily need him, but I think his creativity is something that really helps this offense. Yeah, I mean, but how's Kyrie going to feel about being the third option? How's Kyrie going to feel? You know about uh, he's no longer the lead ball handler even like you know we saw how much that bothered him when it was LeBron you know it's not Kyrie's team and it's not even like it he's just such a non-factor now and he's such a distraction that if I'm Sean Marks I'm I'm trading Kyrie Irving tomorrow if you can get me some bench help and some defense I'm doing it in a heartbeat no questions asked I saw somewhere on Twitter it was like he was tired of being Robin to LeBron's Batman and like now he's Alfred with the uh... Durant and Harden in Brooklyn so it's like just he is the third option like it's Kyrie Irving you know I think going back to when he went to Boston and it was like you know this is the guy for Boston like this is the answer he's gonna finally have his own team with some young pieces and does another team like take a gamble on, on that kind of experiment like with some young pieces that they would want to, to build around Kyrie like I, I just don't know if he's I don't know if the trade value is there if you're the Nets and he's a guy that anybody would really want to build around like, I guess is my concern with what kind of value you'd get out of that with any team that has legitimate bench power that you'd want yeah I mean at this point he's a headache and he's not really worth what you're basically what you say he's not worth the trade value so he, he's tanked his own value and now you know he's on the outside looking in on his own team which it's a pretty wild situation to be in if you're the Brooklyn Nets, but I think they're happy because they have James Harden now and they see themselves as real legitimate contenders this season. And we'll see. I, I think they have still have a chance to get there, but I don't think they can win it. You obviously think they can get there, but not win it as well. But you think they're more competitive now after the James Harden trade. So we'll see how it shakes out over these next couple of weeks. But Tom, that brings us to the end of There's a Lot Going On. Uh, do you have any final thoughts, words of encouragement for the listeners? 
Uh, I real quick, I wanted your take on like the James Harden weight fluctuation. Like, what are you seeing there? With you know, it seemed like he was a little uh, larger in Houston, and then he gets to Brooklyn. You know, maybe it's camera angles, maybe it's Photoshop. Who knows? But I need I need your theory behind the the James Harden weight loss. Okay, so I actually do have a theory on this. Uh, I think that color blue makes everyone look bad. And if you notice, if you notice, he when he's wearing the all black warm up uniform, right? He looked thinner because I think black in general makes people look thinner. And then when he was in game wearing the regular uniform with that blue the Nets were wearing, he once again looked like he's very overweight and out of shape. So I, I, I'm not buying into these fat suit rumors, you know, the he was doing all this so he could get out of Houston. I just I just think he showed up out of shape and he was going to the strip club too much. He was doing doing too much drinking, too, doing too much throwing of money. And now he's out of shape. It is what it is. He's got to get back into shape. This is this is the James Harden I've come to expect. I mean, you're kind of hitting the nail on the head. You know, New York has has stricter COVID rules than Texas does, and so you know he perhaps is spending less time uh, you know, on extracurricular activities. So you know, maybe he's uh, hanging around the house a little bit more. But uh, just, just between that and like the weekend's face thing, like it's just been weird, like body image over the last month stuff. So I don't know. It's just been interesting stuff for me. So you're 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 all tuned into people's body images. You you're. This is going to become a body image podcast is what you're saying. I mean, like the weekend, like was an attractive dude and went out and like, quote unquote, got plastic surgery. I don't know if I buy that. I, I, I think it's a Super Bowl gig with him that like he's going to do something with his halftime show and like reveal his real face and whatever. And you know, it's like Scooby-Doo when they rip the mask off the villain. But I, I don't know, something fishy's going on. You know, Hollywood, they, they, they say uh, they say basketball especially is too infiltrated by image you know maybe we're going down that road maybe it's really just you know there, there's, there's too much personality <laughs> I, I think you're too invested in this uh the weekend fake plastic surgery story when it was clearly a storyline for his last album and you know he's an artiste tom this is what artists do they create entire personas just to sell records and be the super bowl halftime show it's the whole reason he did this smart man there you go Listen, my man's is going to get paid, and uh, here we are again doing this for free for you, the people. Reminder, if you like this episode, if you're still here, it means you love this episode. Go give us a five stars on our iTunes page. Leave a comment. Tell us what you want us to talk about. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can do it there. Follow us on Twitter at TalgoPod, and both of Tom and I's Twitter handles will be linked in the show notes of this episode. But until next week, thanks for listening. And we'll catch you back here next Monday for another edition of There's a Lot Going On.